0: the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show is sponsored by Cheshire Impact on a mission to maximize your use of marketing automation and CRM, CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And today's guest is awesome. And we've had to reschedule so many times. So I'm super excited. Heidi Vandermeer. She is the account-based marketing manager at Uberflip. We're going to be talking strategy today. We're going to be talking knowing your audience today. She's also a, I'll share with you, a marketing strategy maven, and she actually came from the sales side. Heidi, welcome. Thank you, Casey. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. And like what did it take us like? Four or five weeks to make this happen? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it was even a couple months. We just kept rescheduling. It might have been. And you know, it's funny because the theme when we were supposed to start talking was about knowing your audience, that CSI, the success index before you start building things or going after people or writing content. You gotta know who your audience is. And so that was how we originally got connected. Now that was in January, and then the theme uh, that came after this, actually the theme we're on now is also content, which is interesting because we were talking about content before uh, we got started here. So I think today is going to be a hybrid of knowing your audience, what the heck is ABM, and also the idea of talking about content and maybe some myths around that. So starting off with that, is there anything you just want to dispel from your any kind of bunk, um, you know, Junk uh, strategy? They just want to just smash.
1: Absolutely, Casey. I think there's a bunch of bunk strategies out there, yes, and one let's that play it. let's get rid of it all. <laughs> so one that I would love to bust is the idea that content marketing simply fuels inbound marketing. And our CMO actually wrote wrote a post just recently around f content marketing and. F. Was it yeah did put the initial the letter <laughs>
0: put stars in there, or how did that work? I think there were some stars, maybe an exclamation mark, something like that, okay, cool, so he had a potty mouth on his pot. now what was the point? He was saying it, it's what not it's not about content marketing, or what was he saying? yeah, so right
1: now I think we've created a bit of an epidemic of content right now. there's this crazy stat out there that around sixty to seventy percent of content actually sits unused. And so yeah. there's this entire idea around not just doing content marketing, but making sure that you're marketing your content. And I think that fits in with, uh, with another podcast you had a bit recently.
0: Yeah. With Andy, <laughs> he was saying the same thing. It's so important not to just, because I was thinking about this graveyard of all this content or, you know, there's that old movie, the, the land of misfit toys where all the toys, no, none of the kids wanted went on this Island. And they all just sort of languish there. It's almost like the content we write. If it's, If it's not marketed, it goes and it hides some other foreign place and you you get one like and one view and it was only you. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, for sure. So what's the solution to that? Yeah. So as you said, it's a big waste of resources
1: and it's really this paradigm shift around changing how you strategize around how you create your content, making sure that you do understand your buying funnel and your customer cycle as well and where some of those gaps sit. I think that uh, we all got a little bit drunk on inbound marketing a while back and oh, with with the shift to account based marketing we're we're seeing a big shift in how content is also being created and how that strategy
0: works. You know, HubSpot was definitely the one at the party going, "Hey, you want <laughs> another beer? Are you good? Hey, you want Hey, jello shots everyone like, "Oh, HubSpot, not again." But yeah, we were all doing <laughs> jello shots of, of content marketing. Everyone was saying it's going to just you know, world peace and world hunger, just keep doing content and do more of it.
1: Yeah. And I think that there are some really great aspects of content marketing that sure, companies sure. do still need to do. I love being able to have a topical authority on a certain subject. And I think it does create a lot of credibility in this space, but right. I think that it also gets confused. Content marketing and marketing content are also something that get interchanged here and there, but, uh, but they're actually really separate
0: things. Wait, content marketing is different from marketing content.
1: Yes, that's
0: right. (laughs) And and if I screw this up, something's going to blow up. Like what's, what's the difference?
1: (laughs) So there's, Content marketing is a subset of your marketing content where it's really around that thought leadership. It's a very distinct discipline that blends. It can be SEO with your content strategy, digital marketing, God. editorial expertise. It's all about driving that inbound traffic and engagement. Yeah. And if you're not getting that, it's it's not content marketing. And so it's good to to really look at marketing content as a whole, and then just consider your content marketing as a small section of that, so that you're not ignoring all these other important aspects of your buying journey.
0: Yeah, not getting stuck in a silo. I think that's like the big thing with mm-hmm. business: sales and marketing are all stuck in their silos. Marketing's in their side in content. <laughs> you're just writing it. In a, maybe you're just you know, just a journalist just sitting in your cube, just writing the content, but there's such a bigger world out there, right? There's all these other aspects to it and the marketing of the content.
1: Yeah, definitely agree with that. And I mean, I don't think it's anyone's fault in particular or sort of just oh, following on, what I other people button. are doing. <laughs> <or> <laughs> I don't want to blame anyone in particular, oh, but uh, but there's, yeah, as you said before, like HubSpot was a big pioneer in that area and yeah. it's it was really cool to see how, how much marketing changed because of that shift. Sure. But now we have to we have to readjust and I think align our marketing a lot more to our actual sales cycles.
0: Sure. Now you work at Uberflip. Mm-hmm. Does does this all tie into Uberflip then? not all of it there's not definitely a yeah, yeah yeah I would
1: say there's there's definitely parts of it in terms of we do help people leverage their content throughout the buying journey we help marketers organize it and be able to use it a lot more so that it doesn't just sit unused and that you can have more evergreen content that's repurposed in different ways even between different departments as well so if you wanted to repurpose it for sales to use or customer success, we have a few different interesting ways to help help do that and track it that uh, that marketers don't traditionally do. You
0: know, this next question is going to sound like I'm totally being paid to ask you this, but <laughs> I'm not. That that sounds like yeah, like, hey, sponsored by. It, it sounds like magic. So how exactly does uh, like just from like someone who's never heard of Uberflip, what what does it do? It helps your content, and how does it keep it all organized and? Sure. So
1: it's cloud-based. We call it a content experience platform. And so, yeah, it pulls in all (laughs) of, (laughs) it pulls in your content, whether it's sitting in a blog or video format, um, PDF, any type of content that you have. Sure. And it pulls it into our system. You don't have to re-upload. It's not a manual process. And then it allows you to basically manage it at a scale that functions across uh, across a lot of different departments as well. And marketing can have the, the hand to optimize and control how those different experiences look and just do it at a scale that's a lot more agile and, and faster. We see a lot of big companies, especially sometimes mid-market, where it takes a lot of time to put together these different web digital experiences so we, yeah. we
0: kind of streamline that process <laughs> cool 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 and you know and the bigger you get the more content you probably have hopefully and i can see it being that much easier to get it confused and but you want to get it the right place at the right time so that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah yeah Help slice and dice it up and set it up for conversion so right that's, yeah
0: huh well that's cool um and now what you do for them is you work on the ABM side, right? Yes, that's correct. And maybe just explain for everyone what, because you know, it's interesting. You and I were probably around this all the time. And mm-hmm. we, if you follow the same people on Twitter, <laughs> I see the word ABM or account-based marketing everywhere. Even the people that wrote the books on it, if you follow them, you'll think it's just everyone knows what this is. But then I, I go to some event somewhere and a lot of people haven't heard of it. So could you help us just understand, you know, what what is ABM? Because I mean, even your your role, right? You're the, the marketing manager specific for account-based marketing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So account-based marketing is uh, it's relatively new, but if you talk to people that have been in the business for a long time, they've been doing ABM in their own form forever depends really on how your marketing team's set up but what it's where it differs from our traditional marketing strategies is that you are able to define your list of accounts and so you know who you're going after you're able to prioritize that based on usually based on past success with other other customers other deals and then be able to segment that out and go after go after those accounts and there's different levels that you can go after them at. So if it's if you go after massive deal sizes, usually you'd personalize that marketing approach on a one-to-one right. account, sometimes even purpose person basis. Whereas if you're more mid-market, it tends to be one-to-few where you're focusing a little bit more on segments. And then there's also a one-to-many approach where it, it's called programmatic. Some of it looks a little bit like traditional demand generation, but it's, uh, it's where there's not that much differentiation between your marketing tactics for these different groups.
0: Right. So going after a known list. And what, I think what's interesting, yeah. sometimes this gets confusing for people because like, the, like you just said, a lot of people have been doing this for a while because some industries and some products or services they have a known universe if you're going after mm-hmm. schools or if you're going after hospitals there's a, a finite number of hospitals so you know who your target is well i guess a broad target um, and so they have been going after known accounts but some of the the other tools like software or you know even services like ours oh, we can work with almost anybody <laughs> so it's it's instead of trying to boil the ocean you're you're reducing that down to a uh, a a pot <laughs> and, and just trying to boil that pot and but going after specific people so that's interesting mm-hmm. so um do you, so you have certain strategies that you're doing do you, now do you go after the big ones like you're saying or mid market and do you personalize down to like each email or the t shirt or how does that work.
1: Yeah. So it's funny. We've actually rolled out a number of different campaigns and we've actually, we've hit all three levels of those types Mm. of personalization at some point. When I, when I first moved into this role, I was focusing on enterprise sales. And so we built out all of these strategies, strategies for enterprise accounts. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a good experience. We did that personalization as well. We built out like this magazine that we sent people for an event that we had that had their face on it. And it was sort of like a time magazine. It was an yeah. astronaut thing. So that was that was a really fun one. And we got some good responses from it. We, we focused on that for for a number of months. And then we were getting feedback from the sales side that they wanted more support on some of the mid-level accounts. And sure. so we switched to a bit more of a segmented strategy on that one to few personalization basis. And, uh, and it's been interesting. We've revised our account lists a few times, done different analyses to see what, what works best with sales, but it's uh, definitely been a growing process.
0: What does segmentation, what does that look like for when you're doing ABM? Is it still role-based or geo or buyer persona? What kind of targeting?
1: Yes, yeah, so we do some persona-based marketing for sure. I find that it, it resonates, and it's a relatively—it's still somewhat scalable to build mm-hmm. out. Um, but it's e- a lot easier for sales to to use that and build off of it within their own talk tracks. Sure. Um, so we do that. We've also done a lot of technographic types of seg- segmentation, and so our platform integrates with a lot of big players out there, like uh, Marketo or. Sure. Eloqua and uh, and so we'll focus around those different segments and that's also been a really a really fun way to to go after accounts um, and then another area that we're we're doing a little bit of right now is industry based too so some geography some geography with events I would say is thrown in there but it's a, it's a big mix and uh, and I have a lot of fun trying to segment our audiences just to see what works
0: yeah because I mean you have to experiment Be- Mm -hmm. But if you have too many segments, now you're doing that much more work. And if you don't have enough, you're not as relevant. So you have to find that. How do you find that balance? Just test it out or?
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting balance. When I first started, it was, it was a lot of testing, just going back and forth, seeing what resonates and we're still, we're still testing a few things. I think it's always good to have something new in the works. Sure. Um, But one thing that I did was to just run another analysis on all of our accounts that we've closed within the past year, look really in depth at our close rates on them, how fast we're closing them, and then uh, our average deal size too. developed developed our priority lists from that and so that was the most helpful way to to get started with more intelligent testing um and i I would totally recommend that uh and then also validating if possible with your sales team as to whether the data is showing what they're actually what they're actually living and experiencing
0: right that's really prescriptive that's cool sometimes we talk like high level strategies and in concepts like artificial intelligence, but that's really, you know, the way that you ordered that and then not only ordering it that way, but then checking with sales after doing a quick check, a little, does this make sense? Um, common sense mm-hmm. check with sales, see if that's what they're seeing. That make, makes a lot of sense. Now
1: yeah, there's a lot of other tools out there too, that do predictive as well. And I've looked into those a little bit, but I'm, mm. I'm a fan of just being, if you know your business, know yeah. how to segment it. Um, I think most predictive models do look alike. And so it just is like, who are your current customers? Let's try to model it after after that. Um, And your close rates, that type of thing. But I think that uh, if your business is changing or you're going after a new market or anything in the market is changing, that's not going to tell you very well. So I think it's good to know all of those different levers that are affecting your deals and kind of look at it while understanding your business.
0: Interesting and so predictive. I mean, there's a lot of technologies that basically try to do what you just said, but do it in a and in, in software and give you a number and predict how how likely this person is to buy. But you're saying, you know, nothing really beats just doing your own guess and check. That kind of thing is that your.
1: your um, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's a guess and check. Necessarily. I don't,
0: want to worry about, don't worry. We're not slamming. The- <laughs> they're all going to tweet at you later.
1: <laughs> yeah. I would just say it's a philosophy that kind of relates to don't do your segmentation in a silo. And I think oh, that, yeah. I think that predictive can, can lead to one of those silos where people don't understand all the levers that go into it necessarily. And it doesn't necessarily relate to all businesses or if you're trying a new tactic or if you're, if something is changing, it's good to, good to kind of use your own knowledge and validate that with sales and then kind of make your guesses and tests as well.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, I'll say like, no, you an app isn't going to know your business better than you do. If it does, we've got problems. (laughs) problems. One time I was working with a company where their whole marketing department had outsourced everything and the CEO came by one time to talk to someone who's in the marketing department. Hey, what's your strategy on this? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> we outsourced <laughs> that, and no one knew anything, so they immediately got rid of everyone and uh, brought uh-huh. a new group in so they would actually know what's going on around them. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta, you got to know your business. And, you, and how, do you, how did you find out? You talked to people, walked, walked the halls?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I think it does help that I came from a bit more of a business development background so that I had that on the ground, really specific, putting in the work, figuring out how people will respond to things. Um, But then working cross-functionally has been really helpful too. So definitely booking meetings with people, um, sometimes just doing my own thing and just than asking people about it or also yeah. going ahead and just jumping in. Sometimes you have to just try something.
0: Totally. So wait, you came from the sales side, right? Is that the, or business development or what, what was that like? Where? How did you start out?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. I've been in sales uh, for most of my career at this point.
0: Um, but I'm, I'm
1: loving marketing. And the way that I made that switch uh, was actually here at Uberflip. So I was more so, I was on our business development side, focusing on uh, I was the only person in my role focusing on enterprise accounts okay. and it was something that I'd, I'd built out um, from from the ground up and created all these different ways to just drive engagement, get sure. into them, yeah. research them, figure out what makes them tick and what will make them engage and book that initial call or
0: eventually become an opportunity and close. What were you seeing? What were those different ways that you were seeing working for the engagement?
1: Yeah. So for enterprise accounts, it's Different because you're dealing with a lot more people, yeah. a lot more decision-making groups as well, right. and and it does often require that uh, that research just to find out how the organization works. Is sure. it only that the corporate headquarters that makes those decisions, or is it those
0: individual branches? And that's and so, based on each company too, right? It's not even yeah. You can find out for one <laughs> and different across the board.
1: Yeah, and sometimes it'll change in six months, and so <laughs> I think.
0: <laughs> oh, geez.
1: Yeah, and so it's it's a lot of a lot of digging and just really having your ear to the ground and and I was finding a number of things that were starting to work with that, and at the same time I was collaborating with marketing here and there, writing a couple blog posts and Ah, and developing yeah, yeah yeah making some new content and I. I was like, it would be so cool if I could somehow work on these strategies at scale to help out yeah. all the other people on the sales team yeah. and and it ended up working into this account-based marketing role and yeah. uh, and I originally was hoping to just do some type of kind of sales enablement in a sense, because I saw a big opportunity sure. there. Um, with within our company to help build out some of those different different programs, yep. and uh, and our CMO was like, "Hey, account based marketing is rising. I think it still kind of fits into this. How about you try this instead?" And so that's that's how I got here. I actually um, I'm just thinking back to the process right now, and I think I used an account-based marketing strategy on the people that were hiring me as well. I like, really? Sorry. <laughs> Do that. Um, just, uh, it was kind of cheesy thinking about it. Uh, but I, I built out like this this small physical piece of like that would be an idea of a direct mailer. Connected it with some digital experiences that I put together. Made it really personalized and uh, and sort of connected it all, <laughs> <laughs> <That was> to, <laughs> all to the, the interview. Job <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of just to switch departments. It's funny that I that I think about oh, that so now. So you're already
0: there doing the doing the biz dev, and then yes. you're inside yeah. to try to sell yourself on the next experience you created not even a demo it was like a live experience to go from a print to a digital yeah yeah it
1: was something it was like that it was uh yeah I, I actually forgot a little bit about
0: what that looked like yeah but. but was it was it like a something you could use in the company or was this just literally saying like hey I'm Heidi I want to be in this role <laughs> and like what was it like an example of what you could do or was it just specifically saying like let me go here
1: it was a mix of both. So it's an oh, example of, of what I could build out, but it was yeah. it was tailored around me getting the jobs. So. That's really cool. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah, here I am.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny when I uh, was trying to get my first gig as a marketing coordinator. Um, but cheers, by the way, cheers.
1: That was yeah, tea. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, me too. <laughs> Can't do coffee all day long. Um, so I was trying to get my first gig as a marketing coordinator. And uh, I'd done a bunch of digital already and all sorts of things, but I, I never had a job on my resume that said that. I had all these other internships and jobs but nothing said like marketing marketing coordinator and so I I made up this binder. is this I mean, is back in the day when binders so I made up this binder and uh, it had yeah, I went to their site and I would print off pages and I critique and circle areas like you can improve this and this should go over here and made this whole case of like, look how amazing the, the front of the binder was like me climbing a mountain, you know, just to try to try to sell it internally. And, you know, and it worked, right? It was just, <laughs> I think when, when people see candidates or people see employees that, that take the time and initiative to do something like that whether it's you you creating your example campaign we could do this if we you know give me more time we'll do this full time um or me just saying hey give me a shot at this position it's a little bit of that extra work you know that's what <laughs> kind of separates us from joe schmo who doesn't really care about getting the job
1: yeah no, it was it was definitely different i think uh, it definitely made an impression
0: well, and it's sales too, right? That you—it's mm-hmm. cool that you have that background. I find that it's those backgrounds that really make us unique. You know, if you came from a sales background and now you're in the marketing world, you're not going to look at salespeople like they're crazy. <laughs> yeah. You have different words and different terminology. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's united. But even if they act, sales does act differently than marketing usually. And so, you know, those different perceptions aren't aren't they're gonna bounce off you because you've been there and now you're over here. I think it just makes you that much stronger of a person when you have different crossovers and that cross pollination between different departments and companies and experiences. That that's really what makes us, you know, smart in the end.
1: Yeah, I think that's something I didn't I didn't realize right away in my career. I thought I'd have to be pretty straight lined with with how I wanted to to progress, but uh, right. but I've I've honestly found that that sales experience makes me a a different marketer, um, yeah. so it's it's given me a lot of ability to work better with sales because I understand the process on a really intimate level where yeah. I've been there before. I know I know how it works from from the first cold call that you have to make all the way to close. So I've had, I've had that experience, which, which helps. And I think it, it sometimes can give you more credibility with that sales team too.
0: Oh, hundred percent. And you've had the pressure and did you do sales before flip too? Had you? Yeah, I was? did. Okay. So <laughs> had like a couple of years of sales and then you, you came into there. So you had you'd been under the gun to do the quotas, to hit your metrics, to you know, marketing doesn't tend to have those as much, especially on an individual basis. But, you know, in sales, you've got this number and it's tied to your name. It's cool if you convert it. If you're closing deals, it's great. You get these little chings, docu DocuSign alerts saying that the thing has been signed. It's amazing. But also that number is tied to you. So it's like you fit or you're out. Um, so th- there's a little bit of that pressure, but it can be fun if you're the right personality for that. So it's cool that you came from lots of experience on that side and then you're able to bring that over and it's almost like you never even left sales. You're just doing what really marketing should be doing, which is really supporting sales, you know, and, and the customer, really.
1: Yeah, I, that's definitely nice of you to say. Um, I think I've I've found it to be helpful, at least in my experience. And so even just when we're when we're developing something new, I I know I can always just ask a salesperson what they think about it and and they give really good feedback as well. And they're often willing to help because they know that what I'm doing will eventually help them in the end too. And I think having that buy-in from, from the sales side and that trust is so crucial in a sales and marketing relationship.
0: Totally, totally. And did you have that overnight just from making the switch? Or did people look at you differently when you were on marketing?
1: Um, I think it was, There's. I had to learn how to do marketing to an extent. Like I yeah. worked a bit with the marketing team. So I'm glad that I had a few relationships over on that side before I started, sure. Um, but I think that I think that it took a while for people to understand what I was doing too. Yeah. Uh, when I when I was building out a completely new role, all these new programs, and it took me actually. It I thought I'd be like done this, this, and this, but I hadn't been used to a project based role when I first came over, and so learning how learning how that worked, building on an entirely new new role and types of strategies took a bit of time but uh but it's going well things are running pretty smoothly and the results as well are what helps to gain that trust
0: is right. gain that
1: trust too so i would say it's a mix of me having that experience listening to sales getting their feedback and then them actually seeing some results as well
0: right interesting you said project based role is that kind of how you describe what you do in this marketing realm sales <laughs> support Versus like it, closing deals left and right.
1: I think so. It's sales is definitely a lot more activity based. And, yeah. and so that's, that's like the biggest shift that I would say is that sometimes I can work on a project for days or even weeks at a <laughs> time. And the time just flies by. Yeah. Whereas in sales, like you make a number of calls, you'll send emails, you'll sometimes visit people in person, but it's uh yeah, it's just a different. It's it was a bit of a mind shift to go to one for
0: one to the other. It is different. Did you know that that was the case when you're making the case to move over there? Did you have any suspicions that it was going to be a little bit different? Oh, a
1: hundred percent. Our sales district is really loud. I love it over there. We have music playing. People are on the phones all the time. And then I remember the first day that I moved to marketing, I could hear the air conditioning just oh. going and I was like what is this place why is no one talking to each other
0: <laughs> you have like and a so, gong people can ring on the sales side
1: yeah, yeah, oh yeah deal. a gong a bell there's like lots <laughs> of noise
0: marketing nothing <laughs>
1: yeah yeah so but I mean it's something that that you get used to on either side yeah. as well but the cultural shift was was an interesting thing to experience too
0: It is interesting for sure. Uh, I mean, our team at Cheshire, we have marketers and we have some people in sales and uh, some groups go to bed early and some (laughs) some stay up late um, and some are noisy. And yeah, I I can even picture like the marketing department where everyone's got their headphones on listening to music (laughs) and no one's saying anything. And taking a phone call in marketing is really rare. (laughs) You know, it's either chatter or something online or Skype. Um, It's someone calls. (laughs) I remember having a phone and like never, ever using it in marketing, whereas obviously it's the opposite in sales. It's fascinating. It's so different, but you need both, you know, like Mm -hmm. both to really be effective. It's interesting.
1: Yeah, it was definitely have had that experience with the phones as well, where I'm used to just, if I need something, I'll just call someone and then it's done. Yeah. And uh, and being on the marketing side, I I email people a lot more for, for communications, which is still like, it's good in its own way. Um, I'll still have calls, but I'll book them separately and I don't want to disrupt other marketers. So I'll book another room. Now, have you
0: ever been shushed? Like, shh, uh, (laughs) Too loud.
1: Not as explicitly as that, but but like salespeople would feel comfortable coming over and just sitting beside me and talking, like, "Oh, how's your day going? Oh, how's yeah. this? Oh, I have yeah. this problem. Do you have ideas on how to fix this?" And I'd be getting dirty looks from marketers. It all is like around.
0: an open office too.
1: Yeah, it is an yeah, open office yeah. style. So it's
0: like, "Hey, how's it going?" You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a library, and they're like. <laughs> It's like, they're, it's like, this is your office and they're just sitting there chatting openly someone next to them. What was the headsets?
1: <laughs> and I, I love working on that side. Don't get me wrong. Yeah.
0: But, I uh, but just, it, it was, it was pretty funny though, to see all those differences. So, and I think to your point, the project-based work needs that focus, you know, mm-hmm. whereas yeah. the activity-based work, it almost benefits from the energy. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if a call doesn't go well or something <laughs> somebody else's does or both of yours are bad and then you high five and throw some, you know, nerf gun battle and then you get back to some more calls. That energy kind of can build up and that makes sense. Whereas in the marketing side, I like really need to get this, I'm writing this paragraph or I need to complete this LinkedIn post or whatever the case.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the work is the environment needs to be conducive to the type of work that you're doing too. So, yeah. So I do agree now that the marketing department should be reasonably quiet. (laughs) And, uh, and I still, but I still like going over to the sales side sometimes and just having a conversation with people discussing how it's going. So there's that mix.
0: Put a gong in the marketing department. Sometimes (laughs) I feel like marketing could use a little more energy, but then it looks like, why are you making this noise?
1: a gong so we don't have a gong and i feel like a bell I or something wouldn't, yeah someone might like punch me if i put up a gong <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but, but what we do have we'll sometimes post messages in slack and so that's like our oh, form of
0: celebration such a rebel <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah very slightly different
0: <laughs> totally but it sounds like you you've been able to sort of uh um, find a, a different place and different way of operating and you know you can always go back over there if you want to You know, get more energy or whatnot. Which which one do you prefer? Would you would you sit? Which office would you prefer? Uh, Not so much like the people. I'm saying like the the atmosphere. Do you prefer that energy or do you the quiet? Or is it back to what you're doing? I
1: think that it really depends on the type of work that I'm doing. Honestly, sometimes. I will occasionally need that energy, like okay, we want this creative idea and this and this, and I like to yeah. be able to bounce ideas off of people and just be in that fun, engaging, loud environment. Right. Whereas other times, when I want to be really strategic and or just write something out and do that planning, I need some quiet time. I need some time to myself and just yeah. have my thoughts and be able to think more deeply. Um, so I I do prefer I prefer that for a lot of the work that I'm doing. And I find that right. nowadays that's mostly the type I'm working
0: Mostly with, what you're mostly doing. At, yeah, yeah,
1: project-based or strategic work. And uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's, I'd still like to go back to the that loud environment occasionally, but it, it really needs to be for what I'm doing.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's good research too. Uh, I find that some of the best le- learning lessons I've had is sitting next to sales when they're doing one of their initial calls or listening in. You know, Some of the best organizations have things where you pl- you can plug into each other and you can <laughs> hear them talking and you can hear them addressing a the lead that just came in. Um, and I remember one time, it was early on, this company, they had some issues when I first got there and this person called a lead and the first thing that the lead said on the phone, uh, the person they picked up, like, who are you and what do you do? They had no idea. Like, this is a horrible lead. Like I'll just say it. Hey, I'm marketing, and this is not a lead. This is not marketing (laughs) qualified. It's not going to be sales qualified. This is this person, this poor person, might as well have called like the yellow pages or some random phone number. Um, So it was it was important to hear those kind of things so that you could then create some some content around this. We actually built a drip campaign. So the first thing, no matter how you got in the system, was it, it reassured everyone. It made sure that you got this this really. It was like a Interactive demo, and it made sure you knew what this who we were and what this was, so that never again would someone have that unless they deleted all the emails. They would have that question. You know, we able to now sales was able to skip over that and talk about you know the the need or whatever the case may be. So yeah, it's so it's so powerful. Sitting in, it's almost like it's important to go back and forth, you know, and not get too into quiet or the focus, but also get some feedback, get some learnings. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I agree with that for sure. I think that uh, marketing can be doing a disservice if you're not occasionally listening to a sales call or hearing what they have to go through on a day-to-day basis. Um, And a lot of marketing organizations, especially with your traditional lead gen and then demand BDR, AE structure, I feel like, I feel like the flow of lead to sales breaks off at that, at that transition from marketing to BDR. And it's mm. it's really hard to make that go smoothly. And yeah. there's a lot of processes and different things we need to do to fix that. And so it's interesting being in this position where I can do marketing, focus on that part of the funnel as well, and help help our sales team be more strategic about it. So it's it's a fun place to be.
0: For sure, I I definitely see that being a, a friction point. That transition from marketing, you got all this colorful content, even if it's the most fine-tuned, perfect stuff for you, you get all that, and then you get transferred. You you know your lead, you don't even know it behind the scenes. Salesforce flips you over, and now you're over to BDRs, and you get phone calls. <laughs> maybe, they, maybe the content stops. Maybe it all all that education and knowledge stops and now you're getting harassed by someone who just wants to set you up with a call or someone else and things can be kind of how how have you helped smooth that out so there's a few different ways uh we help our bdrs in that respect
1: um one, one thing that we've been doing recently is testing out different forms we, we'll do emails we'll do uh digital ads okay. one thing that's really that i really like to help get that engagement too especially for your top level accounts yeah. is have some kind of creative piece of direct mail that's helpful to spark and spark that conversation and i think that there still will always be a place for some kind of cold sales outreach and so you have to have reps that are, are comfortable doing that to, to an Warriors. extent yeah <laughs> but it's, it's good to understand how that process works and how to, yeah. add, va- how to add value from that really cold stage too Yes um, and because sometimes the accounts that we we want to go after we don't have that leader contact information right away, and so we have to find other ways to engage them. For the most part, we, we do get a lot of our leads already, but, uh, but just to fill out that database, you find someone on LinkedIn, you're like, oh, this is actually the person that, that we need to reach out to, but we haven't been able to engage them through any of our other channels. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do we assist that process?
0: Right. Interesting. Huh. ABM, do you use any tools for that? We use a lot of tools. Do I you? think
1: it's yeah, it's helpful being a tech company. We uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we definitely believe in using uh, other types of tech to help make our work better. Yeah. Um, we do. We obviously use our own ProSet, our own product for things that are content related. Yep. Um, we use Marketo for mass email automation. Sure. We'll do Salesloft for our our BDrs, and so I can help to create different cadences and different yeah. se- segmentation streams for all Are of those
0: different loft things in Salesloft too or do they kind of keep you in Marketo
1: yeah so I actually work in Salesloft more now than I than I do in Marketo really? yeah um so that's but that's more so just to help set things up for the BDRs and so that I can have that visibility into it um, but it's fun. We can like attach a direct mail as like a first touch point or mm. or not, depending on what we want to do. And then then kind of control that that cadence throughout.
0: Right. I definitely see an overlap, even even our own company and some other conversations we're having. And mm-hmm. I was really learning about just what we actually use SalesLoft too. But some of the tools like SalesLoft can do in terms of automation around that phone call. It's very similar to what marketing automation, a part of, a Marketo would be doing, mm-hmm. but it's almost like mar- marketing tends to stay in their marketing automation platform. Sales mm-hmm. is owning sales loft. You can duplicate the same thing. You could both be trying to write the same email that you're going to send out and, and marketing might write a better one, just saying, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, the, but there's a duplication of efforts. So it's interesting those tools could easily get siloed too, but somehow, but you're into sales loft too. How, how have you facilitated that? Is that just because you've been on both sides and you understand that you're helping them set it up? Cause you're right. If you get it set up properly, you can really just crank through things over there.
1: Yeah. I still, I still do believe in sales, being able to craft their own messaging to an extent. Um, I think Giving them there's the a way that we can, yeah, <laughs> there's some ways that we can help but It should be personalized. It should be, it should sound authentic from that person. Right. And honestly, I've seen marketing try to write emails for sales.
0: Mm, good point. And
1: it sounds like marketing still. It still sounds like it's automated yeah. sometimes. So it's, it is a, an interesting balance that you have to be able to, to work with. And sometimes you have to trust your salesperson at the end of the day to, to do their job.
0: Yeah, you know, we we have um, a training that we do sometimes where we, we start talking about the the emails. And you're so right. Marketing is just as guilty as sales is running away from emails. So you probably can't even say marketing versus sales. Uh, you know, a lot of times I think marketing is guilty of the marketing subject line. all ca- you know Not all caps, but every first letter is capitalized like it's a movie title, uh, you know. Free webinar Thursday. Somebody made a joke the other day too. When have you ever paid for a webinar? Wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> Free webinar Thursday on account-based marketing or content this, that. And in the subject line is 90 words long. It doesn't even fit in your, your inbox letter. And, um, and then people are like, okay, that came from marketing. And then inside it's trying to pretend like it came from a person. you're like, person didn't write that. Give me a break. Whereas the sales unless they're copying and pasting something goofy, often can look a lot more genuine, a lot more sincere. I like like advising people about having subject lines that look like you just hit compose new message. You know, So even if marketing mm-hmm. is sending something, it's something that looks like I just pulled up an email. I might not even capitalize my letters on the subject. I might make it short and sweet. I think one of my best campaigns, when I was inviting people to hang out with me at Dreamforce, I do that every year, by the way, well, mm. thing. Let's hang out at Dreamforce. Uh, <laughs> I sent something saying "beers at Dreamforce?" question mark all lowercase, and um, too many responses. <laughs> they all <laughs> came. Back. They, they all came back to me. Uh, it was awesome. It was, <laughs> it was just personal. Me reaching out saying, "Hey, do you want to meet up? Chat strategy at Dreamforce. Let's do this." Mm-hmm. And and it would work. And it worked because the body wasn't even that long, too. I think sometimes marketing gets into content mode and then. You know, if you have five paragraphs and you're pretending to have it come from a person, it's not from a person. No one write. We're not like Elizabethan era writing long scripted <laughs> parchment letters to each other. You know, um, so like a nice short something like they just typed it personal note to you. Mm-hmm. More effective. Yeah, we've we've seen that too, and I think that yeah.
1: I I do think that like marketing can learn from sales, sales can learn from marketing, and a lot yeah, of totally. those different things. They are two different voices for two different purposes. Um, but to kind of go back to what we were talking about for yeah. having the strategy behind any type of content that you're creating, it should be a catalyst for change in some sense, um, unless it's personal. Like it, like you say, beer is a dream force is something different for an event and, sure. and that works yeah. for that context.
0: In person, yeah.
1: Yeah. But if there's, there should be value for the other person yes. at, at the end of that. And so... I just i like thinking about any message you're crafting to somehow drive that catalyst in some some way or another
0: you're thinking about the other person right i think sometimes mm-hmm. people, you forget call them a lead call them a you know a number and i even wrote something on linkedin recently where we're saying let's put the h back in you know b e to h or b to b it's like a yeah. human side mm-hmm. you you're you actually want to give value to the other person it's so true and if you're if you're thinking about them it's always going to be way better than if you you're just thinking about yourself, you know what's in it for mm-hmm. me, kind of thing. Yeah, definitely an
1: interesting topic and different approaches too. But uh, but that can also sometimes lead to that that friction between marketing and sales, just those different philosophies for how you engage someone. All of these different stages, and I feel like that really leads back into how someone thinks on a day to day basis. Yeah. Is that that stage that you're writing for? And it's easy to get to get kind of trapped unless you have some kind of communication and feedback loop to see why it's working at one area or not in the other.
0: Right. You need that feedback to understand if, if it's resonating, if it's relevant to the person you're writing it for mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned earlier, marketing can learn from sales. Sales can learn from marketing yep. and you've kind of learned, you've learned, <laughs> you've been on both sides. You've been able to learn from both and, and I'm with you. I, I've done some sales myself and it's fun it's so much fun. Um, and then on the flip side, marketing doesn't tend to have that that final moment where it's like jazz fingers, hey, you just closed the deal, you know, celebrate, you know, ring the bell. It's more of a constant um, refinement of a process or a machine on the marketing side. You're, you're continuing to create and add and improve as opposed to, hey, they signed the line, you know that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. both obviously have their values, but what what kind of things do you think um, marketing can learn from sales? Having having been over there, and you've maybe, maybe it's hard to even think of because you were that and you brought it over. Yeah, it's it's
1: interesting. I definitely had a lot more opinions when I was on the sales side about that. Oh, tell me that. Um, and I find yeah, but it's it's the same thing. Like when I came over to the marketing side there's a lot of really negative opinions about about salespeople and it was echoed back like strongly sometimes, if not more strongly on the sales side. And so I think, I think just when people are working in silos, even within a department, it can happen. When you get really specialized into one thing that you're doing, it creates this gap between two different things, even if they're supposed to be aligned, unless you do something to, continually understand the other person within your own company. Yeah. Um, so I think that a few of the things that I found are applying to marketing right now for me yeah. is, is being really goal oriented toward revenue with what I'm doing and yeah. um, every single thing that I do, just because I'm, I come from that background, it works especially well in account-based marketing. So sure. my position is probably a little bit different than every area of marketing. I don't think our, our graphic designers could, relate to that as much. <laughs> but, uh, but the work that I do, everything that I build is to help drive that initial call or drive that right. demo, drive that, that transfer into an opportunity, move that opportunity from one stage to another, and ultimately help it close at like a good rate, even faster, hopefully, if I can help get it there. And so I'm tracking a lot of things that I do on all of the same measurements that sales are being measured on. And, and I found that's, that philosophy to be a little bit different, um, but I, th- I think it's helpful to, to have that vision because it's really aligned to business goals too. And so when we get caught up in things that, that are important and we do need to do like thought leadership, I feel like we, we lose that perspective and how it connects to our end goals sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's so important that end goal, revenue is usually the word, but being focused on the end result. It's almost like that that can immediately put sales at ease because sales is thinking end result. And if marketing isn't, you can really have, it's like a square peg and round hole. It doesn't even make sense. You're not thinking about the end result? No, you are? Yeah. like, But if everyone is, then instead of being like my lead or it's your fault that this thing happened or it's my fault. Like uh, in that political game, if you're all looking at revenue, you're, you're totally right. It, it sort of instantly shifts the conversation to like collaboration. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I do think like sometimes revenue seems a bit too like hard of a goal because you do want to be building real relationships with yeah. real people and creating that value. And uh, revenue is just, a very concrete way to measure it. Right. But, uh, but there's a lot of different ways that you can look at what you're doing and how you drive that end value.
0: So true. Now, how did you pick all this up? Were, are there different events that you're going to? Or how, when you made this transition, or even before you did, you probably were sort of filling your head with ABM knowledge and all that. <laughs> how, did, how did that even happen? How did you make that? How did you learn those, those elements?
1: Yeah, so for me... Um, when I first shift, well, I think my sales background is one thing that tends yeah. to help out with with account based marketing, and the fact that I was at Uberflip already talking to some marketers here and there gave me a baseline education in that. Yeah. Um, but on the other end, in terms of what I did to to try to actually build out and learn from other marketers, when I first moved into this role, I found everybody I could on LinkedIn in the area that had ABM or account-based marketing in their title or their description. I reached out to them. Um, one person had tried setting up an ABM group in Toronto like a year before. Oh, really? And, and five people showed up. He said it was just his friends. <laughs> 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 and so when I reached out and was like, oh, do you want to do this? Like, I really want to find other people so that I can yeah. figure out what they're doing. He was like, yeah, sure. Let's do this. And so Uh, That event's been organized every month now, and we've grown from like 30 members to 400. And learning from other people there is what's it called? It's called Account Based Marketing Pioneers Toronto, I think.
0: Pioneers, I like it.
1: Yeah, so so that was that was helpful. Just really connecting with other people and other having those conversations because
0: 400 people
1: in the meetup group. Yeah, what?
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. in less than a year or two. So it's, it's not just me doing it. It's this, uh, this other person in the Toronto space named Steve oh, wash who's sure. pretty big, but, okay, uh, cool. but I, I do help with some of the logistics still and setting it up. I've managed to get Uber flip in as a sponsor for it. It's nice. just to kind of yeah, help, yeah. help make it run. Uh, and then as well, there's like this one other group that that I found to be helpful that's uh, that's a lot smaller. It's more of a roundtable format where people share their strategies and it's more back and forth. But yeah. I've, I've honestly found talking to other people to, to be one of the most helpful things. Um, I've read so many blog posts and ebooks and all these other things online. But when I go into actually trying to execute it on a mm. ground level, that's uh, that's been helpful.
0: Yeah, it's like that step beyond the page. Sometimes you can read something and it makes sense, but then. They ask you to apply it and you had to really think about how to apply it. But talking to someone else who's already applied it skips that step. They, they're sharing how they mm-hmm. translated that written theory or that written to do in a book into like practical usage. That's cool. Yeah, it's good. Been-
1: Yeah, I've loved that. The marketing community is the B two B marketing community. I am realizing is really small, and so even just going to I went to an event in Arizona a couple of weeks back called B two B MX, and that was fun. I got to meet people that I'd seen post on LinkedIn. I've read their blog posts, and and that was that was really cool
0: as well. Good event. You recommend it for people for next year, the next time they do it?
1: Yeah, I would. I definitely recommend it. The reason that I chose to go there. I choose, I chose to attend was because they had an ABM track and I hadn't seen that at other places. So it was, it was useful to have those dedicated sessions and it's all B2B marketing, which is, which is my focus. So it was really good.
0: That's cool. Okay. So B2B MX had an ABM track. Good stuff. We'll definitely put that in the, the links in the notes. That's cool. So who are you? How, how, <laughs> apparently you went in the sales route. How did this all start? You know, was it, were you selling things since you were a two uh, <laughs> year old or how did this all, what's like the life of you in a few minutes?
1: <laughs> yeah, So definitely not quite that early. I think I was always driven to try to do something and I, right. I had, I did pick up jobs as soon as, as soon as I could. Um, one thing that led me into the sales side was when I was in university. I one of the jobs that I, I ended up doing was I ran a small company, and it was like a contract painting business, and it was a great experience. It definitely oh, like it, the
0: college, um, the college painting where college <laughs> students you get hired to do the painting and everything. That's awesome. So you did that. Was that in Toronto or uh, just outside of Toronto? Just outside, okay. Yeah. What was that like? And you ran it. It was like your franchise or your your. Group?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the first summer I, I interviewed and hired, trained up four painters that summer who were also students. Wow. And then the second summer, uh, it was up to the, our busiest. We were at 10. So we, I had between five and 10 people working for me. So it was a great experience, wow. um, something that was very different from what I'd tried before. And I'd done a lot of odd jobs here and there. Yeah. But I think. It, that kind of ignited something in me, and I was on this track to go into optometry. I wanted to be a scientist and, and or a doctor, or something something along those lines. And and this just ignited something a little bit different in me, where I was like, "Oh, okay, I can build my own thing from scratch." Right. And, and I I realized that selling was one of the most important skills that I could develop for that type of thing, and so that's what I tried to try to develop further after after university I didn't want to be painting houses all day it was not <laughs> quite not quite an industry that I was I was extremely passionate about um, but but going into b2b sales was was a good experience
0: so were you like a like a bio major or something like that in school when you get that <laughs> summer job to do the painting and it kind of like threw all your plans into <laughs> disarray yeah,
1: I was uh I was in biomedical science mm-hmm. and with like a minor in French. And so that was it was definitely a shift. I always did something different during my summers. And so like I'd worked in greenhouses, I worked in labs, I did some work at a volunteer I volunteered as well for optometry clinics and things like that. Hmm. And and so I, I appreciate having that experience before I jumped into a career afterwards.
0: But yeah, who would have thought, yeah. right? That one you know career off the path really that you somehow yeah. try it out and then it that redirected everything you're doing and now you're you sound really happy and doing what you're doing now so that's oh I great. love it um, you had that experience you like went on on a on a limb to run a painting company did you actually paint the houses too
1: yeah not so much in my second summer it was a bit bigger bigger that one that time but uh, early
0: yeah early on you did did you, did you sell the paint jobs too Yes. Yeah. So maybe that's where the the selling really was that mm-hmm. really, that really picked up. Where you're selling the paint jobs, reassuring people that you're going to do a new <laughs> job, and yeah. So it was it was
1: really it was running a business like from the ground up. So I sure. had to do all the accounting. I had to wow. find our customer base. I had to we did we knocked on doors literally, and uh, and that's what ended up building that out. And so it was a good experience. It was a good yeah. introduction to to sell to sales and and business to an
0: extent that's really that's really cool it's the it's those kind of experiences that you you think you're supposed to learn from school but what's funny is school gives you (laughs) the excuse to go do these experiences where you actually learn what you want to do
1: yeah exactly (laughs)
0: Awesome. So, if I need any painting help in, <laughs> in New Hampshire, is that. Are, are you out of, you're out, you're out of practice
1: now? Yeah, I think I, I called it Heidi Vanderbeer Enterprises, is yeah, now closed.
0: Nice. So. Oh, it's now closed. Okay. I'm, sure no, you have a I'm sorry. Number. You're like, oh, I'm, I can refer you to someone else now. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Definitely a, a, a hard job, right? It's labor intensive to do. For
1: mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it was. It was so hard it definitely kicked my butt and made me realize i i wasn't invincible and gave me good experience uh i definitely it wasn't all an easy road to to that sure. end goal at the end of the summer so
0: and you like come back to your dorm room covered paint all over you
1: yeah. oh and my hair and my nails <laughs> oh, <no>. oh. <laughs> oh.
0: Oh, but it's those things, those opportunities. Wow! And then enough making those transitions, but we keep transitioning, which is which is which is impressive because you're following uh, not only what your purpose is, but you're also following where the the market is, and also what where technology is going, but also where you know science and even the way sales and marketing are working. You know, you're following that that migration, that path, which is cool.
1: Yeah, it's. It's been a, a really good ride so far, and, and I, I do love where I'm at right now. It's, I find account-based marketing to be really, really, it's creative, it's strategic. I'm still, I feel like I'm making a difference as well, and I'm really linked nice. to sales. And so it's, I'm so happy to be where I'm at. I couldn't have imagined this job coming out of university either.
0: Well, awesome. That's really important. Purpose can be a hard thing for marketing. Like Back to the earlier example, sales knows they have a purpose and they,
1: mm-hmm.
0: they see it happen when the deal converts. But when marketing, especially if you're not tracking the revenue, you don't really know. You're in, you're, it's interesting you mentioned that too. Marketing can also be activity-based. It shouldn't be. But I think the, the people without an, a good strategy sometimes ask you. One time I had someone ask me how many emails we sent that month you know as if that was the thing that would elevate our marketing game was how many emails we sent out the door mm-hmm. so we really need to transform that company so that they were thinking about the big picture and think about revenue so mm-hmm. awesome well this has been great what are some of the ways people that you know obviously are are, are learning abm or they just want to bounce things off of you what are the what are the different ways to connect with you sure so
1: i definitely I have a LinkedIn profile, uh, Heidi sure. Vandermeer. You can find me there. Also, Twitter. I've been using it more and more. I, I'm still not not that big That's on how Twitter I found yet. You. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm on the marketing side. It's fun to see the, the that people are active on Twitter in that space. Yeah. So I use that pretty much only for work right now. Um, so you can find. Mm-hmm. I think my handles. It's pretty boring. I made it for work, so it's just Heidi
0: Vandermeer okay, that's fine. It's, it's better than embarrassing. I mean, you know, like cool guy, 3714 30, at hotmail.com, you know, some really embarrassing screen name or something like
1: that. Yeah. Heidi Skater at hotmail.com.
0: Right. We all have those, uh, those screen names where are like, oh, it won't really matter what I make my screen name. And then it really matters. Uh, but those are old school, old school things. So, okay. And then, uberflip it just uberflip.com to check out the content. yeah yeah absolutely awesome and what about this um the abm the pioneers is that google googleable is it a meetup group on meetup.com or yeah
1: it's a meetup group uh, here in toronto so definitely if you're listening and you're in toronto you should totally check it out
0: okay sweet and if not there's probably groups around and if not you just move to Toronto.
1: Yeah, exactly. Come here. It's a bit cold in the winters, but it's not too bad.
0: Not too bad. Do you rent your dog sled or do you own one full out? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely don't own one. (laughs) Don't own one. That's how you know it's the end of the day. But this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us on this.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a Great to be on your podcast.
0: Absolutely, and everyone listening, if you if you enjoyed this, definitely share it with a friend. If you didn't enjoy it, share it with someone you don't like, but still share it nonetheless. <laughs> and uh, this has been uh, the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll catch you all next time.